right, we're going to read some scripture this morning, so if you'll uh, remain standing, and this is 2 Samuel chapter 2, the first four verses, Uh, and uh, this is what the word of the Lord says. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns in Judah, he asked. The Lord said, go up. You ever wonder if you could just ask a question to God and he'd speak it right out to you? And that's uh, that was David's experience. doesn't work that easily today. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. So David went up there with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David also took the men who were with him, each with his family, and they settled in Hebron and its towns. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron And there they anointed David, king over the tribe of Judah. We're going to pray this morning before we look into God's word. And um, we have several in our church family that are uh, under the weather, not feeling well this morning. I'm not going to list all their names, but just going to pray for them in in general, Um, as well as um, I want to pray for some folks that are part of our extended church family Uh, that have some needs as well. So join me in prayer, will you, this morning? Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to be here today. Uh, Lord, on a kind of a gloomy, overcast, rainy Sunday morning, it would be uh, easy just to um, uh, stay at home and relax. And yet, Lord, we're thankful that we can be here because you are worthy of our worship and praise. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open up our hearts to uh, your word this morning. Uh, May the Spirit of God speak directly to us as we uh, listen uh, with open minds and open hearts. And Lord, we pray for many that are sick and are uh, perhaps struggling with illness in our church family. Uh, Lord, we pray your continued strengthening and blessing in their lives. Lord, we remember um, parents as they face uh, many health challenges. Lord, for dad as well. Lord, we pray your healing touch upon him. Lord, we pray for her this morning and thank you for her life of faithfulness to our church and to you. And we pray encouragement in her life. And Lord, uh, many, many others that we can include in this prayer. And we commit them to you. Lord, you know their need. Uh, you know their hearts today. And so uh, we pray your encouragement in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been looking at the life of David, and in fact, I'm looking at my uh, notes here, and we are on part 10 of David's life, and uh, I'm thinking we got maybe uh, six or seven more uh, uh, messages to go until we kind of wrap up the life of uh, David. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that describes the death of a long-reigning monarch and the anointing of a new king. If that sounds a little familiar with what's going on in our world today. No, it's not the Queen Elizabeth and King Charles. We're talking about King Saul and King David. And uh, we're going to look at a, a wide section of Scripture here. And so uh, I'm going to read just certain sections of certain chapters uh, just to, to move things along. Uh, as we look at the life of David this morning. And we're going to look at Saul's tragic death. And we're going to look at David's uh, rising to the throne in, in God's timing. He had to wait 13 years between his private anointing and his public anointing. And so we will see that in uh, uh, 
the passage that we're going to look at this morning. So just a little bit of a review to bring us up to speed on, on David's life. As I mentioned, 13 years earlier, he was privately anointed as the next king of Israel. Saul had forfeited the throne, and uh, God sends uh, Samuel to the hometown of Jesse, and he says, that's where the next king's going to be, and we find out it's from Jesse's family, and Jesse has all these sons, and they all parade before Samuel, and God says, not him, not him, not him, and he finally goes through the seven sons, and he says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, the youngest, he's out in the field watching the sheep, bring him here. And it was David, and God says, he's the one. He's, he's my chosen one to be the, the next king, the next leader of the nation of Israel. And so uh, David is privately anointed. He's just a teenager. He's probably 16, 17 years old. And so David is privately anointed as the king. And then as the storyline progresses, David becomes a very famous, well-known warrior in Israel. I mean, he, he defeats Goliath, he, he's known as a, a warrior, and the, the women of Israel begin to sing this song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. <laughs> and King Saul begins to get intensely jealous of that young man, David. And uh, David is brought before King Saul to kind of uh, soothe his his spirit. And uh, Saul takes a spear while David's playing uh, the harp, and he hurls it at David, and David ducks, and uh, his life is preserved. And Saul tries to kill David five times, and so David becomes a fugitive. He's a man on the run. And for 10 years, he is, he's running from King Saul as King Saul's trying to kill him and King Saul's trying to, to capture, uh, David. And, uh, so, uh, David is on the run. And that, uh, brings us to our passage that we're going to look at at the end of 1 Samuel and jump into 2 Samuel. Um, we're going to look at, uh, the death of King Saul. And King Saul dies a tragic death. So we're going to look at chapter 31 briefly uh, and look at the real story of King Saul's death. And then we're going to jump into 2 Samuel chapter 1 and look at the reported story of Saul's death because they're drastically different. And so let's look at the, the storyline here from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 31. I'm just going to read the first uh, six verses. Uh, now the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them and many fell dead on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines were in hot pursuit of Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. Uh, Saul's fear was that he was going to be taken captive alive, and the Philistines were known for torturing their captives. Think of the story of Samson. And Saul, so Saul wants, he, he's mortally wounded. He's, he's, he's been hit with arrows, and he asks his armor bearer to take his life. 
But his armor bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his sons, three sons, and his armor bearer and all his men died together the same day. What a tragic ending to King Saul's life. That he's killed in this battle with the Philistines. And not only does he die, but in that very same battle, that same day, all three of his uh, sons are killed as well. And now the Philistines have a, um, a, a trophy kill, so to speak. I won't read the rest of the chapter, but it's a little bit gruesome. They cut King Saul's head off. They take his body and attach him to a wall for all to see King Saul is dead. And King Saul ends up uh, tragically dying in battle. Well, that's the real story. But as we turn the page to 2 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to think about the reported story. And at first when I was reading through this text, uh, the two chapters is like, these are complete opposite storylines. And so which, which one is, is true? And you'll see that in a minute. First Samuel 31 says that King Saul takes his own life by falling on his sword. Second Samuel chapter 1 records that an Amalekite comes and says that he killed King Saul. And so they both can't be true, and people that like to criticize Scripture like to say, well, look, at the, the Bible's not true. Look, at there's, there's conflicting stories here. And so uh, let's read the, con- the, the reported story, and, um, and then we'll try to uh, clarify this. So 2 Samuel 1, now, after the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. He says, I've escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died. And Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. That that had to be um, stunning, tragic news to King uh, to, to David. That was not a surprise to David because if we go back to First Samuel chapter twenty six, you remember that David had two opportunities to kill King Saul, and he wouldn't do it because he's the Lord's anointed. Even though his men were encouraging him, "Hey, here's the guy that's trying to kill you, kill him." Listen to what David said to Abishai, one of his men, uh, when they decided he decided not to king, kill King Saul. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish, David said. But the Lord forbid that I should lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. So David said, I am not going to touch King Saul because he's God's anointed, but God's going to take care of him. And he may die a natural death, but maybe he's going to die in battle. And that's exactly what happened. 
But here's this uh, uh, fellow that is reporting now to David that Saul and, and his son Jonathan are dead. He doesn't talk about the other two sons. Verse 5, 2 Samuel chapter 1, Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I, I, I need some verification here. I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me, and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought him here to you, my Lord, David. So here's the conflicting story, the reported story. First Samuel 31 says Saul takes his own life by falling on his sword. Second Samuel chapter 1 says an Amalekite comes, has Saul's crown, has uh, some of Saul's um, uh, goods, and he says that Saul asked him to kill him. And so we asked the question, well, this is confusing here. Which, which is the true story? And, and as you read through the commentaries and, and, and study the passage carefully, you discover that this story in 2 Samuel chapter 1 is a fabricated story by an Amalekite who thinks he's going to be rewarded by David because he killed King David, or King Saul, rather. Here's what one of the commentaries has to say, the clear answer of which is true, is that King Saul killed himself and the Amalekite story was a fabrication in hopes of gaining a reward from David. The Amalekite was a treasure hunter, a battlefield opportunist who followed armies in conflict in hopes of gathering spoils from fallen soldiers. And so this Amalekite thinks he's going to get a great reward for David because Saul's dead and now David's king. And if we have any um, questions whether which one is true, Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 12, later on in the book, identifies that Saul died at the hands of the Philistines. It was their arrows that, that um, put him in difficult situation. And so here's this fabricated story, and notice the reaction of David. It is the exact opposite of what the Amalekite thinks is going to happen. He thinks he's going to get rewarded. He doesn't know about Saul, uh, David's attitude towards Saul, that he's the Lord's anointed and no one should touch the Lord's anointed. And so here's David's reaction. He continues with his interrogation. He's already asked him three questions in the first part of the chapter, and there's a total of five. It says, then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. Remember, David has a band of brothers, about 600 men that are with him. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. They suffered a great defeat. And so they're mourning. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I'm the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. He answered. Here's the piercing question. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. You should not have killed King Saul. He's God's anointed. Let God take care of him. 
Then David called out one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. And so David's reaction is 180 degrees opposite of what that Amalekite thought would happen. He thought he was going to be rewarded. Instead, David said, put him to death. He's killed the Lord's anointed. Well, that's the reaction of David. That now leads us to um, the remorse of David. I'm not going to take time to read the whole rest of the chapter just uh, for time's sake, but um, David has lost um, his very best friend. David and Jonathan were tight. They were, they were best of friends. And now Jonathan's gone. We also need to remember that Saul was David's father-in-law. He was married to Saul's daughter, Michael. So David's lost his best friend. David's lost his father-in-law and the two other sons of Saul. And David is in remorse and they're, they're mourning over the loss. And uh, the, the title in my uh, Bible, uh, NIV Bible, for this section is David's Lament for Saul and Jonathan. One author writes, David did not gloat over any of this. He never displayed any delight in the demise of his antagonist, Saul, not Jonathan. So David picks up his harp, and with the natural genius of his musical talent, he writes a song, a lament for Saul and his best friend, Jonathan. Let me read just a little bit of it. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired. In death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan. My brother, you were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. And so David writes a song, a a tribute. The the biblical word for this, and we'll look at this, is a lament for his father-in-law, Saul, and his best friend, David. Well, that brings us then to just the section that we read this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 2, the first few verses. And uh, now um, it's the reign of David. Saul's had a 40-year reign. Saul is dead. David's been privately anointed as the king of Israel, but not publicly. And now David ascends to the throne And the long reign of David begins, and let's just read about it again. Um, As David inquires now of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? Uh, He knows he's going to be the next king. He's just wanting God's direction and, and guidance here. And God says, go up. Where shall I go? Hebron. So David goes there, and his his men go there. There were 600 of them, and his the families, and they settle in Hebron, And it says, then the men of Judah came to Hebron 
And there they anointed David king over the tribe of Judah. Now, as we read the, the passage carefully there, one thing should jump out at us is that, well, aren't there 12 tribes in Israel? Yeah. David is anointed the tribe, the king of Judah, his tribe. But when Saul dies, and as this often happens in various countries in the world today, uh, there's some confusion about who should be the next leader, who should be the next king. And uh, we won't take time to, to read through the next few few chapters, but in the next years that follow, there's seven and a half years that follow where there is chaos, there is confusion, and some people try to bring forth one of Saul's sons by the name of Ishbosheth and say, no, he should be the king. And there's like civil war going on between these uh, conflicting groups who say, David's the king, no, Ishbosheth's the king. And it isn't until another seven and a half years where finally the whole nation recognizes David as the king over the entire nation. And uh, just the, the summary verse for that, and I'll just read it quickly, Second Samuel 5, 4, David was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So for seven years and six months, he ruled as king over Judah. And then all of Israel finally recognized him as king. And so for 33 years or so, he reigned over the entire nation. Well, that's, uh, that's the story of um, the transition of power between King Saul and King David. <laughs> it really didn't go very smoothly. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll continue to look at uh, the storyline as now David becomes the king. But I thought this morning, just in the last 10 or 15 minutes here, we'd think about some life lessons from um, this passage of Scripture. And uh, let's look at three of them. And I hope that they speak to your heart and encourage you um, this morning. So here's, here's the first one. The first one is this. Sin always has consequences. I think we know that if we've been around the church for a while and read our Bibles, but we need to be reminded, sin always has consequences. Praise God that God is a a God who is a forgiving, merciful, graceful God who forgives us of our sin, but that doesn't always remove the consequences of sin. And sin always has consequences. Galatians 6 talks about that. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Um, We will reap what we sow. And sin has consequences. They're not always immediate. (laughs) But there's always consequences for our sin. First Chronicles uh, 10 is kind of a parallel uh, book to First uh, and Second Samuel. And so let me just read to you a couple verses, uh, summary verses from First Chronicles chapter 10, uh, recounting this passage about the death of Saul. Here's First Chronicles 10:13. Saul died 
because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. We didn't look at that particular chapter, but Saul goes off the rails toward the end of his reign, and he's desperate, and he goes to a witch medium in Endor to try to look for some guidance in his life. And it says, and he did not inquire the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Those are pretty harsh words there. Why did Saul die? Saul died because he was not faithful to God. Saul died because he didn't carry out what God wanted him to do. Now we know that all of death is a result of sin. Romans 5.12 says, Just as um, through one man sin entered the world... And death came to all men. And so we are all going to die someday because what? Because of what Adam did. But here, the scripture is talking about the fact that there are some people that die as a direct result of what's going on in their life. An unrepentant heart. A life that's grown cold and callous to God and the things of God. Saul's one example. Scripture is very clear. Saul died, why? Because he was unfaithful to God. We're going to see next week a fellow by the name of Uzzah, or Uzzah, I don't know how to pronounce it. And he dies as a direct result of disobeying God. You might be familiar with that story. We'll look at that next Sunday. Think about in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, and uh, they've got some issues in their life. They're trying to, to look good, put on a good front for the, the apostles, and they get into lying. And we read this passage like, man, God dealt harshly with them. Because both Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, are struck dead. And, and because they, Peter says, you've, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And it says, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 11, after um, then uh, Ananias dies, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers about the communion experience. And uh, actually, it's verse uh, chapter 11, not chapter 10. Listen to what Paul says about the Lord's table. So then whosoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, carelessly, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For whoever, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Verse 30, that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have died. <laughs> People in the church, they've died because they've carelessly disregarded the Lord's table and 
We know in the book of 1 Corinthians, they were turning it into a party time. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, John writes, There is a sin that leads to death. There's a sin that leads to death. I looked up on a website. There's a great website called gotquestions.org. What is the sin unto death in 1 John 5, 16? Let me read, read their answer to it. The sin unto death is willful, continuous, unrepentant sin. 1 John 5, 16 says there comes a point when God will no longer allow a believer to continue in unrepentant sin. And when that point is reached, God may decide to take the life of the stubbornly sinful believer. The death is a physical death. God at times purifies his church by removing those who are willfully, deliberately disobedient to him. Sin always has consequences. And um, some of these verses should put a, a little bit of a holy reverence fear in our lives for who God is. Sin always has consequences. Number two, application from this uh, passage here is that the language of lament, the language of lament helps us grieve. And this is from First uh, Samuel uh, chapter 2, where we read uh, David's um, song of lament that he wrote. And uh, I think most of us have not been familiar with this um, language of lament that's in the, in the Bible. And uh, I heard a series of messages a few years ago from a, a pastor by the name of Mark Vrogrop, pastor of a college church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he's wrote several books on Lament. Now, I like to, to joke occasionally that when I'm complaining about things, uh, I'll tell people, I'm not complaining, I'm lamenting. It's biblical. You know, it's, it's biblical to lament. So what's the difference between complaining and lamenting? And this song that David wrote is entitled A, a, a Lament for Saul and Jonathan. Um, lament is all through the Bible. In fact, a third of the psalms are psalms of lament, where something tragic and painful has happened, and the psalmist is writing out of the, the, the pain of life, and he's lamenting to God. So here's a, a, a definition of lament, and I think got some space in your notes if you're taking notes to follow along. Um, and this is Mark Vrogop's definition. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Don't miss both parts there. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Trust in, in God. And so let's just look at that um, in a couple of examples so we can kind of get a little flavor of what we're talking about here, Psalm chapter 13. Let me read it. It's a short psalm, but this is a psalm of lament. It's written by David. Don't know the exact um, context here. I didn't, didn't um, do that research, but listen to the lament. Maybe 
you might be in a situation where you're identifying right where David is. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? God, I'm, I'm in pain. I'm, I'm facing a horrible, difficult situation. God, where are you? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. There's the, there's the prayer in pain. But here's the, the lament part. But, oh, he doesn't just stop there. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And so uh, the psalm of lament, uh, it's, it's a prayer in pain and David's in great pain, but he doesn't just stop there and end there. He says, but you know what? God's good even in the painful circumstances of life. And I'm going to put my trust in him, even though I might not understand all that's happening. There's an entire book of the Bible that's called Lamentations. And it was written by a fellow by the name of Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet. And what's the book of Lamentations all about? It's about the destruction of Jerusalem. And so the, the capital city of Israel has been ransacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. The people have been taken off as captives. Their houses have been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. And Jeremiah is weeping and he's in pain and he's in sorrow. And uh, Lamentations 1 um, starts out, How deserted lies the city once so full of people. There's nobody left in Jerusalem. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Verse 6, all the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. And so the book is all about lamenting and sorrow and pain because the city's been destroyed, the people been deported. That's the prayer and pain, but notice there's a turning to God even in the midst of this pain and trust, and that's where we find these familiar section of Lamentations 3. If you know any verses about Lamentations 3, they're probably uh, these. Let me read them. Um, I will remember them, and my, my soul is downcast within me. And so... Jeremiah is just being very real and very honest, like, I'm discouraged and I'm downcast. Yet this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who have hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Well, that's just a little flavor of, um, of biblical lament. And it's all through the Bible. It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Mark Vrogrop, who wrote the book on lament, says lament keeps us out of the ditches in the Christian life. Um, a lot of 
a lot of us just uh, live kind of in denial and we're in great pain. And what do we do? We just keep a smile on our face and, and act like everything's okay. We're not transparent. We're not real. The other, the other ditch is despair. Well, we're facing something and we're admitting it and we're in pain, but we feel hopeless. And lament keeps us from denial and despair and it keeps us down the right path. Yes, life is painful, but there's hope. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in Him. Well, the last life lesson uh, from this section is uh, the third one from Second First Samuel and Second Samuel is beware of the danger of a self-directed life. We need to beware of the danger of a self-directed life. And here's the danger. Put our faith in Christ and uh, His uh, shed blood on the cross as a payment and forgiveness uh, for our sin debt, and we um, put our trust in Him and Him alone. We've got our entrance ticket to heaven, and we rejoice with that. And uh, if there's not another reason to get up in the morning and to to come to church, this could be the only reason. Thank you, God, for sending Your Son to die on the cross. But what many of us do then, as we live the Christian life, is uh, we'll say, "Well." Thank you for saving me, Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life, but I'll take it from here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll find my path and I'll live my life. And if I need you for anything, I'll let you know. And we need to always be aware of the self-directed life because that's where King Saul went off the rails, didn't he? I mean, <laughs> he's, he's the, the king of Israel. Very explicit instructions in the book of Deuteronomy for uh, a king of Israel. God laid them out. Um, can't remember the exact chapter. But one of the instructions for the king of Israel is he was to write a copy of the law, and he was to read it all the time. In other words, God's word is to be your direction. Where's King Saul? He's looking for uh, guidance from a, a, a witch, a medium. He's looking in all the wrong places for guidance and direction. Where is David at in his heart and life? Well, we read it in 2 Samuel chapter 1. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Okay, Lord, I know you've anointed me as the next king. Is, is, is this the time? Uh, is this the time that you want me to be the king? Go up. David asked again, Where should I go? I want you to go to Hebron. David's seeking God's guidance and direction step by step in his life. And when David goes off the rails in his life, it's because why? He did not seek God's direction. (laughs) He began to feel the um, power of being the king, and he begins to live a self-directed life. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to death. It seems like the right choice to me. God says, nope. And so we need to always be aware of the danger of a self-directed life. And we need to follow the, the model of, of David in Second Samuel chapter 2, not Saul in First Samuel chapter uh, 31. We need to seek God's guidance and direction in our lives daily. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, maybe the most familiar verses in the book of Proverbs. Many of you can quote it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, your own way of thinking. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. How will he direct your paths? Well, primarily through this book. Uh, that's why we need to, to be in, in God's word and know his principles and the truths of his book. That word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It shows me the way to go. He directs us through prayer, doesn't he? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He directs us through giving us a wise, godly counsel in our, in our life. But we always need to be aware of living independently of God. And it's so easy to do. This is what I think is right. This is what I think is best. And what God wants us to live and how God wants us to live is live in dependence. Two words. In dependence on him. And so three life lessons from Second uh, Samuel and 1 Samuel. Sin always has consequences. And I love the verse in James that talks about uh, looking into the mirror of God's word, and then it calls it the perfect law of liberty. You want to live a life of freedom, then live your life within the guidelines and the principles and the boundaries of God's word, and uh, God's word will make you um, free. John eight thirty two: uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will free you. Secondly, the language of lament. Um, there are times where we are going to be in pain and in sorrow and we can pour our hearts out to God. But a lament is a prayer. We don't need to stop there. We need to continue on. And it's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. But God, my hope is in you and you alone. And then lastly, be aware of a self directed life. Let God guide and direct. We need that individually. We need that as our families. We need that as our church. Let's let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, these stories in the Bible that are there for our instruction, are there to help us to learn from the mistakes of others. And so, Lord, help us to learn from the, the pitfalls of King Saul's life, a self-directed life, Lord, help us to uh, model after David who is, is seeking your guidance every day. He's inquiring of you. Lord, I pray for some that might be in pain this morning over um, life in a fallen world. Lord, uh, thank you that we can um, pour our hearts out to you, but we don't stay there in our grief and pain but we ultimately will say, but our hope and trust is in you. And so, Lord, may that encourage our hearts today. Lord, help us to live a life that is pleasing, encouraging to you. May we encourage one another even as we close our service today. And, Lord, we ask for your guidance and direction in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.